0: I mean you're you're less of a spy and more just a, a shitty social media service.
1: You know, Burgess was really the first Instagram influencer. <laughs> just taking like coy selfies, you know, recommending, you know, recommending new possibly dangerous diets, mostly involving raw garlic and just broadcasting any and all personal information he finds. Mm, feeling cute, might occupy Paris later. I don't know. hey everybody welcome back to fat french and fabulous i'm jessica
0: and i'm janelle
1: and today we are on to part two of everyone's favorite gay communist traitor uh guy burgess there's just so many gay communist
0: traitors it's hard to pick just one but it, it has to be this one
1: Really, he he
0: goes above and beyond. When you're trying to rank your top five, y- you know it's it gets difficult. But I think this is this has got to be your top choice.
1: There's there's a lot of top tier candidates. A lot of people made submissions, and they were all impressive. But really, Guy just takes the cake.
0: I'm just imagining you having one of those like March Madness matchup brackets, <laughs> just full of gay <laughs> communist trinkers. <laughs> if anyone's gonna have one, it's you. It's probably decor at your apartment.
1: You know, I have I have my rankings, I have the leaderboard, you know, I have <laughs> I have stats up on the wall. <laughs> How about they have leaderboards? They're all dead, what are you Are you are you infiltrating
0: top spy networks just so you can fucking rank them? <laughs> You're I collecting mean... up to date information so that you can get your like fantasy spy team? <laughs>
1: It's just, you have to keep your eye out for new talent. (laughs) My dog is
0: barking, which means she either agrees with you or she's a communist spy and she's upset that you've blown her cover.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, Bianca.
0: (laughs) Get back on the bed. (laughs) Get up there. Go spy on my sheets.
1: Yes. So by April 1935, Burgess had deserted Cambridge for London, where he lived off his family trust and what sporadic pay he received from the Soviets.
0: How very communist of him. <laughs> Being a trust fund baby funded by his dad.
1: Uh, he likewise took took to reviewing history books under the pseudonym of Guy Francis, which honestly isn't even trying. Like, that's just his first and middle name. <laughs> Uh, burgess's london flat was decorated in patriotic red white and blue which he called the only decor which any reasonable man could ever live with he sometimes spent entire weekends in bed uh reading eating porridge kippers bacon garlic and onion out of a single saucepan and drinking red wine presumably straight out of the bottle but i wasn't able to nail that down so
0: he smelled Uh, terrible is what that's what that information tells me he smelled just awful
1: as much as he liked cooked garlic and fish in the same pan, he also chewed raw garlic all the time because Ooh. he thought it was healthy.
0: What is that like, healthy for?
1: You're never going to get sick because no one will come within a 20 meter radius of you? No airborne disease will ever be as powerful as your breath. They had immunization back
0: then. He was just going the extra mile.
1: I don't know if he was worried about vampires. <laughs> I don't know if he was concerned about like socially communicable diseases. But this was a man with a powerful stench. You can't get an
0: STD if no one will fuck you without crying.
1: This is a guy who, like, if he sat next to you on the bus, your eyes would water. (laughs) The New York City
0: experience. He'd be right at home here.
1: You'd just be wondering who was cutting onions. I also
0: like that this man (laughs) wants to be a champion of the proletariat, and his pursuits are lying in bed eating food all day. The great struggle of the working class.
1: I don't even know how you can be a spy when people can smell you coming.
0: <laughs> Is that kippers?
1: Uh, it would like being stalked by an Italian restaurant.
0: <laughs> I mean in fairness, it's it's mid-twentieth century Europe. Everybody smells like garlic and fish.
1: That's what the average perfume smelled like. <laughs> that that was in vogue, really. It'd be suspicious not to smell like that. Little known fact, Audrey Hepburn, strong odor of garlic. <laughs> uh, Burgess told those who asked that all he needed to be content was wine, books, and the news of the world. Uh, as a cultural uh. note to our non-British li- listeners, and, and also Janelle, uh, the news of the world was a trashy, sensationalist newspaper of a similar vein to the American tabloid, the National Enquirer.
0: <laughs> oh, everybody's favorite source of news. How is Batboy doing?
1: <laughs> yeah, the News of the World was first published in 1843 and folded in 2011, after a scandal where, among other things, they were found to have illegally hacked thousands of phones, including that of a 13-year-old missing girl who later turned out to have been murdered. Oh, I was gonna Fuck say- you very much, how- Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> how do you
0: possibly fold a shitty tabloid that's that old and- somehow it's journalistic integrity you tell lies for 200 years and then you go down for journalistic integrity that's shameful that's a
1: lot it's a lot that's a lot turns out the line that they crossed exploiting murder victims yeah that was that was that was it
0: <laughs> they hit the sub basement and they kept digging
1: They were already on the moral ground floor of journalism, (laughs) but they hit oil. (laughs) I don't understand
0: why you need to illegally wiretap people when you can just make shit up.
1: Like, you can just lie. No one can stop you.
0: (laughs) That's what you were going to do anyway. Hire a psychic to find the girl. Call
1: it a day. Burgess spent much of his time in London flitting about various important circles, making himself charming. Burgess met and likely had an affair with married Labour MP Harold Nicholson from 1935 to 36. Burgess likewise secured a position as secretary to gay conservative Member of Parliament Jack McNamara, to whom he had also acted as a personal assistant and travel companion for some time. This
0: is all the more impressive when you consider that this is a man who is shotgunning kippers out of the can and smells like it
1: this this is a man who can swallow a whole fish like a penguin
0: <laughs> citation needed but i'm I like it <laughs> I want that to be true I, I'm
1: already getting started on my future career in uh, in news <laughs> um, I
0: deeply want that to be true
1: my pitch to the National Enquirer will get their attention. Uh, McNamara was associated with the Anglo-German Fellowship, an organization funded by a group of conservative anti-communist businessmen to project German influence on Britain. Hmm. Burgess gained a high level of access within the fellowship, where his position allowed him to spy on Germany's international strategy and to launder his own political past. He brought Philby into the fellowship for similar reasons. It also brought him into contact with Edward Pfeiffer private secretary to the French war minister, leading figure in the French equivalent of the Boy Scouts, and noted sadomasochist. Oh.
0: That's that's a lot. You just threw that in there <laughs> with a list of other credentials.
1: <laughs> just a little addition to the resume. You know, I'm a government figure, I like camping with children, and I like being whipped. <laughs> that is an escalation. It's like <laughs> reading
0: through like a nine-paragraph Ok Cupid profile about how much they enjoy hiking and dogs only to hit the bottom and find out they're into casual knife play (laughs) (laughs) maybe bump that up to the top
1: Uh, he he was very much a man of multiple facets (laughs) (laughs) well rounded Complex. (laughs) Uh, Pfeiffer introduced Burgess to numerous useful contexts in the French political world, Boy Scout rallies, and the myriad hedonistic attractions of Paris, apparently including orgies and brothels, and playing ping pong in evening gowns using a naked man as net. Well, that sounds like Uh, a goddamn
0: good time to me. That's how I want to spend my Tuesdays.
1: I'm like, that sounds like a pretty typical party. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Naked man ping pong.
1: Like, you know, you know, they didn't have beer pong back then. They like they didn't have the red solo cups, so they had to worry about breaking breaking glassware. So, they had to find their own fun. <laughs> when you
0: are using a naked man as a ping pong net in a time when you can be flogged for being gay, I don't think glassware is your primary concern.
1: You are possibly having too much fun. <laughs> as far as the law is concerned, absolutely. Yeah.
0: You need to dial it back.
1: Burgess took on his new identity as a staunch conservative with Nazi sympathies with the aplomb of a master actor, though apparently the need to suppress his true views privately upset him. Aww. Poor,
0: poor guy. He's just ranting in (laughs) private to his friends. (laughs) I just want to seize the goddamn means of production.
1: Why do I have to pretend to have sympathy for capitalist concerns?
0: (laughs) This is like when people ask you to wear shoes in public. I imagine it's much the same reaction.
1: (laughs) It's my own business if my toes fall off. (laughs) (laughs) I wear clothes entirely out of deference to your sensibilities. Yeah, children
0: are going to find your frozen toes on the street and they're going to be upset.
1: You're gonna get Stanley learn something. You're gonna get Stanley Park closed off. They'll understand the world. (laughs) You can't shield them forever, Janelle.
0: I have seven years of uh formal education in mental health and counseling, and I don't know how to help somebody who finds your pinky toe in the
1: park. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, admittedly Stanley Park's already a weird-ass p- place. <laughs> just the other day, I was walking down, down like middle of downtown Vancouver and I saw a syringe stabbed into a tree. As I, oh my and, god. <laughs> and it's always sad when a, a young tree with all their life ahead of them turns to drugs.
0: <laughs> I knew the opioid crisis was bad, but that's just ridiculous.
1: It said insulin on the side. I'm not sure how serious to take that. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Canada. Even diabetic trees have better health care than you do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just, everyone deserves health care. Everyone. Uh, it was in the fall of 1936 that Burgess met chorus dancer Jack Hewitt. Hewitt and Burgess remained together for 14 years, but the relationship had no impact on Burgess's promiscuous habits, oh. often leading to conflict between the two. Burgess bought Hewitt clothes and called him mop, like some kind of working class poodle. Uh, he likewise attempted to interest Hewitt in literature and politics, though Hewitt remained resistant, claiming that he couldn't afford to be a socialist. Hewitt cooked, cleaned, and organized for Burgess even before moving in with him.
0: Oh, he deserved better.
1: He deserved so much better.
0: Jack Hewitt deserved better. I will live and die by this.
1: They will write it on my tombstone. That's just my epitaph. <laughs> Jack Hewitt deserved Jack better. Jack Hewitt deserved better. Hashtag Jack Hewitt you know, deserves better. This will be my rosebud. I also... They- <laughs> <laughs> this will be my last words. <laughs> it's gonna be People a real... Will
0: be w- real confusing. It's
1: gonna be a r- real confusing for my heirs. <laughs>
0: You're dying. Your descendants, like, gather around. You've left no will. (laughs) They come to hear your final instructions, and it's just you would deserve better.
1: (laughs) And they're like, what does it mean? It must be a code. (laughs) I also really like
0: the idea of not being able to afford socialism. As an individual, that's funny.
1: Uh, It's hilarious. Not our
0: country can't afford socialist programs, but I personally, as an individual, cannot afford to be socialist. That's funny. That's a, that's a whole- that's the most clever political commentary I've ever heard, and I don't fully understand what it means.
1: Hewitt even opened Burgess's letters and ensured bills were paid, as otherwise Burgess was unlikely to do so, and the phone would be cut off. He's
0: like every stereotype of an obnoxious 19-year-old socialist boy.
1: <coughs>
0: oh my gosh,
1: he is- every single upper middle class socialist
0: he is he's like your rich boy roommate who wore che govara shirts and had never microwaved his own hot pockets like that's that's who he is
1: he's just so utterly culturally upper middle class (laughs) that it's amazing
0: (laughs) it's amazing he lived as long as he did let, let alone
1: oh yeah
0: spied You'd for the communists. You'd
1: expect to get caught in, a, caught in a dryer like a cat <laughs> and just get run out of underpants and just ha- become homeless. Like, he just... <laughs> this is not somebody who's ever meant to be released into the wild. Oh
0: no, this is the man who accidentally mit- mixes bleach and Windex three weeks after moving out and takes himself out of the gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: in a letter of recommendation to the British... Co- Broadcasting Corporation. Fellow apostle and Cambridge Regis professor G.M. Trevelyan said of Burgess he is a first-rate man and I would advise you if you can to try him. He has passed through the communist measles that so many of our clever young men go through and is well out of it. I... There is nothing second-rate about him and I think he would prove a great addition to your staff.
0: I don't even know what part of that to make fun of.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I... There's so much! There's so
0: much there. I feel, I, I feel spoiled getting to mock that.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's it's really an honor. He has
0: passed through the communist measles. Uh, wow. Wow, wow. you
1: are a great judge of character, I, my good sir. I, I can tell why you're a professor at a prestigious college. <laughs> Burgess received a position with the BBC in October 1936. Both Burgess's skill and his charm allowed him to quickly rise to the ranks of the BBC, both in terms of responsibilities and pay. As always with Burgess, those who didn't find him overwhelmingly charming usually found him difficult and unpleasant. Burgess likewise failed to submit an appropriate staff security photograph. The photograph section sent him four reminders, which the general establishment officer followed up with a stiff rebuke. That is such a minimum requirement for your job. Burgess protested that he had already provided two photographs, both of which had been rejected. Of course, the reason that they had been rejected was because they were in fact photos of Burgess sitting at the beach in the British seaside town of Margate. <laughs> this
0: is this is not the era where you need a wagon and 30 minutes to take a picture like photos are a thing. No.
1: Yeah. Cameras are are easy
0: to come by. readily
1: available. You can,
0: you can, <laughs> I mean, you can't take a selfie on your phone, but it's it's this is not a, yeah. he's not being asked to, to take a portrait sitting. I also like that his job as a spy essentially entails, like, do not be conspicuous, and he's like, alright, what's the most
1: pointlessly
0: difficult thing I can do?
1: Burgess used his position in the talks department at the BBC to forward subjects of personal interest in the British media, particularly Russia, as well as to raise the public profile of his friends and allies by bringing them in as collaborators on various programs. This patronage was particularly important to the career of Anthony Blunt. Cementing him as an authority on modern art.
0: Interesting. According
1: to Blunt's l- later confession, it is around this time that Burgess first approached Blunt to join him in his clandestine activities. Blunt, unlike Burgess, McLean, and Philby, was a Marxist on a largely academic level. But if there was one man who could always persuade him, it was Burgess. <clears throat> I like the idea of being
0: academically Marxist or you're like, Yeah, I mean, this sounds good on paper, but I don't actually want poor people to have better lives. I'm just in it for the babes.
1: I'm just here for like the fast women and the and and, and, (laughs) the fast women and the fast cars. (laughs) I just
0: loose women and fast cars. That's what that's what the Marxists get. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, class warfare! Talk dirty to me, daddy. Like
1: you're certainly causing the uprising in my lower classes.
0: (laughs) Seize my means of reproduction. Listen, I've uh, had a lot of experience seducing left wing boys and shitheads at college. <laughs>
1: it's Not that hard. <laughs> it's not. Mm.
0: Just a just a quick loop of the Russian national anthem and a look at a Che Guevara shirt, and they're yours.
1: Blunt was given a further push by the death of a mutual friend and former member of the Cambridge Communist Cell, John Cornford.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that name. <laughs> oh, isn't I'll...
1: that name great? I want to afford your corn. Some corn. I don't even know what just... that
0: is is that sexual is that agriculture I have no idea
1: you're trying to cross a, a field of a, a cornfield with your family and you know the first ox to 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 step a foot in gets sucked in by the undertow <laughs>
0: of, I just it just sounds like something you shouldn't admit to your mother that you did yeah yeah me and me and John last night we went out to the field and we we forded some corn <laughs> We went cornfording in the dark. Like that, it it's just like, it just sounds like something you know, that would disappoint you your ancestors. That on the
1: first date.
0: <laughs> oh no! Oh my God, no! I've I i it has been a long time since I was thirteen, half my life ago, and uh, just hearing the name cornford makes me want to bully someone.
1: Like yeah. that instinct
0: is still in there.
1: Just like deep down, somewhere in my heart of hearts, even as somebody whose name starts with P I G. Like that is a ridiculous name That's and rough. that man should be bullied.
0: <laughs> I want to put mean things in his locker.
1: Yeah, uh anyway, he was a poet who had joined the cause of the Republican forces against the nationalist faction under General Franco in the Spanish Civil War. Uh he died by sniper fire. Oh, which is less funny. That's um, way less
0: funny than what I was saying.
1: Yeah, I, I I liked the Cornfording bit. <laughs> that was way more fun. That was
0: enjoyable. This is sad. Now this is death.
1: Yeah. It's just like, oh well, that's that's a senseless tragedy of a young man with a ridiculous name.
0: Can you be young and be named Cornford? I feel like you come out of the womb sixty.
1: Wait, <laughs> if your name is Cornford and you're below the age of sixty, I'm pretty sure you can get arrested for that. You don't get like, to have somebody... a childhood.
0: You just no you don't.
1: You, you, like, Benjamin Button style, except you never get younger.
0: No. <laughs> Childhoods are for non-corn forders.
1: You were never born a corn ford. You become a corn ford.
0: Once you ford that corn, there's no going back.
1: Yeah, and you know, you, you shouldn't be fording corn as a child. Like, there should be some, like, child protection here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not for innocent minds. Stay gold, pony boy. Stay gold. <laughs>
1: Blunt met with Deutsch and became the fourth member of the Cambridge spy ring with the codename Tony.
0: That's a shitty code name. It's
1: terrible. That's not even remotely trying.
0: The dude who makes up the codenames doesn't give a shit. I'm just gonna say oh. it now.
1: I think too many people responded poorly to his other codenames. He's like, you cannot- you tell me I cannot call them orphan. You tell me I cannot call them. I cannot imply that they are homosexual. Fine. Your code name is Tony now. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you.
0: <laughs> Nobody
1: likes me when I'm being imaginative.
0: <laughs> That's the real tragedy in this story. the uh, The co- Russian codename guy who got his dreams stomped on.
1: Yeah, just he was going to be didn't somebody. Appreciate his creativity. <laughs> you know oh. he was he's an artist
0: <laughs> when you're less creative with code names than a white woman naming her baby in the year 2019 right yeah.
1: <laughs> i love how every white bored white mother names her child something that you could use as a very secure password <laughs> Like you know, we've got letters, we've got symbols, we have some capital letters, some lowercase letters. Got an asterisk in there. Your your kid sounds <laughs> it's like pronounced a f- Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> your kid sounds
0: like a nightside table from IKEA. <laughs> you need to stop.
1: <laughs> it like uh, what? Is, how is this pronounced? Is is it the Gorgonborg? And like um, it's Emily.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My daughter Kaylee Allison <laughs> How is that spelled with 24 y's?
1: I want to do the opposite. Like I should just acquire a child and then I should just like give them you'll know, just spell their name like J E S S I C A and people are like, "Oh, your daughter's also named Jessica." I'm like, "Um, it's pronounced
0: <laughs> <laughs> Every part of that sentence made me want to call child services.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> i'd be a great mother question mark <laughs>
0: <laughs> please i wouldn't give you a house plant
1: <laughs> hey my house plant is very healthy because my roommate waters it
0: or because it's plastic and he's lying to you one of the two <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually no we just got a plant that was like it's a Pothos Moonlight, and its number one selling quality is it is almost unkillable.
0: <laughs> if you had given me that name out of context, I would have no idea if that was a perfume, a, a paint color.
1: <laughs> a protagonist in a pretentious Japanese video game set in America.
0: All of the above. <laughs> unkillable Houseplant would have been rather far down my list of guesses.
1: Oh, you can, you can with this houseplant, you can cut a bit off of it. And put it in a glass of water, and it will survive for like months. My roommate did that with a
0: spider plant, except she forgot to replant it, so now we just oh, have no. this line of Stella Artois glasses on our kitchen table that have been completely overcome with like angry spider plant cuttings. <laughs> And everyone who comes over is like, what is that? I'm like, my roommate's failure. Gaze upon it.
1: <laughs> that was an inhumane experiment on oh, a plant. That is I, what it is.
0: I live in Manhattan. My apartment is like 70 square feet, and four of them belong to mutant spider plant babies.
1: <laughs> it's like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein.
0: I think they're eating the glasses now. This, <laughs> If this podcast never comes back on the air, it's not because we're busy. It's because I have been murdered by foliage
1: <laughs> just a vengeful plant <laughs> just looking searching for its creator um, <laughs> blunt as a don at cambridge was in prime position as a recruiter uh, through blunt burgess recruited michael straight the son of a very of an affluent american family studying economics at cambridge Strait was he also gay who wasn't very straight at all, uh-huh. was dazzled by the worldly brilliance of Blunt and Burgess. <laughs> I wanted to make the
0: joke, but it turns out that life did it.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't even have to go there. Reality has already filled in that punchline. It's stealing my material history. Yeah. Cornford, Michael Straith, ridiculous. <laughs> Stop doing my job for me. I know what More it's like to be on work.
0: SNL in the Trump administration. It's it's all just there.
1: (laughs) This isn't a joke. I'm just stating the news. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They convinced him that he should return to America and work on behalf of the uh, international communist movement there. Next was John Cairncross, a brilliant linguist who had studied modern languages at Trinity College after completing a degree at the Sorbonne in Paris. Oh, this one I know. This one I had to read something of in school. Yes, I
0: don't know what, but I I do know this one. Points yeah, for Karen me. Yeah, Cairncross
1: was interesting and famous for other reasons. Uh, he had passed the civil service exam and now worked at the Foreign Office. Burgess cultivated Karen Cross through carefully staged happenstance meetings at parties and long evening chats in Burgess's flat. Karen Cross was recruited as the fifth member of the Cambridge Ring.
0: Wait, this one worked at. Uh, this one worked with Turing. Yes, yes, absolutely. He was. He was in the movie with. Dead eyed Bumberbatch Cumblesnatch.
1: Mm hmm. Absolutely. And... He was, he was, he, yeah, he played across from uh, Cucumber Bramble Patch.
0: Yes, except uh, as I once wrote in a scathing blog post that went unexpectedly viral, the two of them never met, and he certainly never threatened to out Alan Turing.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> That's
0: nobody, he did not know that Alan Turing was gay, I promise you that.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> Turing was very out. <laughs> uh, in mathematical circles, and surprisingly popular.
0: <laughs> yeah, nobody gave a shit. This this was not something that Karen Cross held over Alan Turing's head. No, it's unclear like, whether they even knew each other. Like eight thousand people worked at that center.
1: This was a highly academic, extremely covert situation. Like, like I understand it's good for melodrama, but as we'll see with Burgess. Like as long as you were upper middle class and an intellectual, you could just say these things. <laughs>
0: like I can actually hear Oscar Wilde turning over in his grave.
1: Oh yeah, like
0: <laughs> you can you be attach- gay and get away with it if you're upper middle class. Why didn't no. no one tell me? <laughs>
1: Well, because he co- he was getting away with it for a very long time. That's but true. Then he was, he was he bad at He tried
0: to sue somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you have to not start lawsuits on the premise that you're not gay. That's the yeah. key to getting away with it.
1: Yeah, like <laughs> no one's gonna ask, but don't just like heckle the police. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Generally, good advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, like don't 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 draw attention to yourself, like. <laughs> don't just walk up to a judge and say like how dare that person call me gay like (laughs) this is obviously stupid (laughs) but like i think it's notable that his level of confidence was there in the first place this is very much something that has always been tolerated as long as you're willing to be discreet Burgess likewise approached his friend Garanwi Reese in November 1937, telling him with uncharacteristic seriousness over a bottle of whiskey that he was a comm intern agent. <laughs> <laughs> so bad at this. So, the
0: whole point of being a spy is that you don't get drunk and tell people. Yeah, that's like, like that's like the, the main rule. There's there's number
1: there's, one thing.
0: I know it's a one, lot to remember, but that's pretty much anybody. The, that's the main thing Two, they want you to remember.
1: It's like Fight Club. (laughs) (laughs) The rules are surprisingly similar. Reese told Burgess that he didn't believe him, to which Burgess responded, Why else do you think that I've behaved as I have since I left Cambridge? Why should I have left Cambridge at all? Why should I have left the party and pretended to become a fascist? To prove the veracity of his claim, Burgess named one of his fellow agents, Blunt, then made Reese promise never to ask Blunt about it. I like
0: that his response he's given an opportunity to walk this back.
1: He's he's given an he's opportunity
0: given to so undo opportunity. exposing himself and instead he blows someone Just else's down. cover. <laughs> that's Just... that's the worst possible course of action.
1: Beginning in May 1937, Burgess st- struck up a friendship with MI6 officer David Footman through Footman's literary work, which gave Burgess pretense to ask Footman to give some talks about his travels for the BBC. Through his friendship with Footman, Burgess managed to acquire a clandestine position as courier between Number 10 Downing Street and the French government in 1938.
0: How do people just keep handing this guy power?
1: Oh, it's Unbelievable. He's
0: he's not good at anything. To be clear, he abuses his power. He can't hand in a security photograph with four reminders. He
1: smells like fish.
0: He's (laughs) terrible at everything. He keeps giving away his position as a spy, and they're just like, eh. Have some more power. What's the word? You have a. You went to Cambridge. You've got a white penis. Have whatever the fuck you want.
1: Well, that's basically what it is. It's like it's this self reinforcing cycle. Of privilege, where because of his educational background, because of his class background, they just assume they don't have to vet him. <laughs> and then he gets powerful positions,
0: which look good on his resume, so they give him more powerful positions. And the cycle continues.
1: <laughs> to this day. This work was on behalf of a close associate of the Prime, of prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, Joseph Ball. Not the Texan serial killer, nor the Me- Minnesota Senator, but rather in a former mi five officer and director of the British Conservative Party's research division. I'd like that you specified that. I also like that you looked that up. <laughs> 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 or I like to know that you. I'd like to imagine that you just
0: knew those two people off the top of your head and you were like, "Oh heavens to Betsy, the Be <laughs> will be confused.
1: Yeah, I just, I need you to know that the Minnesota senator, nor the Texan Texan serial killer, were in any way involved in political intrigue in Britain in the interwar era. Heaven that forbid we vital. sully
0: the good name of a Texan serial killer.
1: He might have done a lot of terrible things, but we should still treat him fairly. <laughs> As historians.
0: <laughs> are we in- historians, or are we shitheads with access to microphones? We are totally shitheads with access <coughs> to microphones. That's what I thought.
1: When when people are like, oh, what is, what is your podcast about? I'm like, well, we do true crime and history. They're like, oh, do you have a history in true crime? And I'm like, no. But Janelle Janelle has like a background in criminal psychology. And they're like, oh, that's cool. So you have a history degree? And I'm like, no, nope,
0: no, no <laughs> romance languages. Not. That's how I do this.
1: <laughs> you see, I speak
0: Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Como estas? That is that is the entirety of my rem- resume. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are grossly unqualified durian. to be here. D- like durian is a fruit. That's not a qualification. You can't just hurl fruit at people till you get what you want, Jessica.
1: <laughs> I've always found it extremely effective.
0: <laughs> Whenever people ask me what this podcast is about, I just fake a seizure so I don't have to come up with a coherent answer
1: because I don't <laughs> know anymore. I
0: don't know what this I just, is. I don't know what we're I just doing chuck here. Chuck a banana. I just say Um, offensive things into a microphone once a week and hope it never comes back to bite me.
1: Like, every once in a while at my job, people are like, oh, you're a comedian, right? Like, what have you been up to recently? Oh, I just recorded a podcast. They're like, oh, that's that's really impressive. But I'm like, sure, never look it up. (laughs)
0: There's no barrier to entry and every minute of it is offensive. Have fun.
1: (laughs) I like making fun of the war dead really into that <laughs> especially if they've dumb last names like cornford
0: jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> i just had some blasphemies just for good taste <laughs> mm. no genre genre is something that disappeared into our rearview mirror like 23 episodes ago
1: <laughs> it's just like what is this canadiana true crime history this is just documentary? a documentary it's Who a knows? recorded
0: descent into madness
1: <laughs> this is this is this is the exhibit A in my sectioning. <laughs>
0: There's a theme to our podcast, but you kind of need to be a computer algorithm to, uh, or yeah. a sick mind to figure out what it is.
1: Yeah, we're go- one day we're gonna force a neural net processor to listen to each and every one of these episodes just to what see what it would like to see- watch a computer go mad. <laughs> <laughs> Fun hobby. Uh, Ball also served also served an intelligence and propaganda role. This he did on behalf of Chamberlain, but also on behalf of MI6 and the Foreign Office, who wanted information on the clandestine activities of Chamberlain and his subordinates. Chamberlain mistrusted the head of the Foreign Office, Sir Robert uh, Van Sittart, seeing him as an anti-fascist <laughs> hardliner.
0: Oh, that Vansittart! Oh, Sir Vansittart! What a saucy gentleman that is!
1: (laughs) I bet he often wore a complete suit and a mustache. Probably, (laughs) probably. He probably is not nearly as exciting as his last name. That slut! It's always entirely possible that he was just wearing saucy lacy undergarments underneath, and I like to believe that, even though I have no evidence.
0: I need to believe that. That's what keeps me going? Vansittart had lacy panties. That's it. That's, that's the only reason I get up in the morning.
1: <laughs> I've never heard of him before now, but Sir Robert Vansittart, head of the Foreign Office, he liked to feel pretty. <laughs> uh, Chamberlain instead sought to bypass the normal hierarchy of the diplomatic service in his secret campaign to appease Nazi Germany by dealing directly with the Foreign Affairs Advisor. Sir Horace Wilson, who has a boring name, uh, whose policy preferences were more closely aligned with the Prime Minister. Unknown to Chamberlain or Wilson, when Burgess was given a delivery, he would first stop off, stop off at an apartment with, in the St. Ermin's Hotel in Westminster, where Burgess's MI6 contact, Footman, would photocopy all of the material to be given to Vansittart. Footman would then return the original materials to Burgess, who would deliver them as scheduled to Edward Pfeiffer to pass on to the French government. If that isn't a big enough fuster-cluck of chicanery and espionage, which it comfortably is, Burgess was also relaying all of this information to his handlers in Russia.
0: I honestly can't even tell who's spying on who at this point. Is anybody actually coming out ahead here?
1: I have no idea. In March nineteen thirty eight, Burgess was arrested and charged with solicitation for an incident at, at Paddington Station. The complainant claimed that someone had pushed a suggestive note under the partition of the cubicle he was in. <laughs> Burgess's He's like, like Alright, I've got a Lilo Never I've got a Lilo
0: and not attract attention to myself. I think I will solicit strange men for sex in a bathroom
1: stall. Time to really get into the cottage, the London cottaging industry.
0: Well, while my dutiful life partner waits at home with a warm dinner on the table because he deserves better.
1: He deserves so much better. <laughs> Burgess, you don't even know what you have. <laughs> he was a gem. <laughs> Burgess's response was that he had been minding his own business reading George Eliot's Middlemarch. When somebody had someone had passed him an, an, an indecent note, all he had done was glance at it and send it back.
0: That is a weird, weird defense. Why, George Eliot? Why does that?
1: Why specify? Like,
0: yeah, this is this isn't a newspaper. You're like enriching yourself on the toilet. Like,
1: what kind of weird flex is it that you <laughs> specified that it was? It was literary fiction, thank you very much. I wasn't wasn't merely reading the paper.
0: Are you a college
1: student with a book report due in the morning? Yeah, why? Now, I initially assumed that cubicle at Paddington Station must mean a toilet stall, but the internet informs me that in addition to the paid toilets at Paddington Station, there are also uh, paid shower stalls. Uh, They cost five pounds, which seems like a lot for a shower, Uh, And Paddington is only one of three London stations that even have showers. Uh, I wasn't able to figure out if the showers would have been there in 1938, but at that point I had been Googling the men's showers at a train station in London for 20 minutes, and I needed to stop. (laughs) I would rather lick myself
0: clean like a dog than take a shower at Grand Central Station. (laughs)
1: Like, public showers are questionable at the best of time. (laughs) Like, this... You're gonna get a Veruca... Like in your ass. I don't. I don't know. You're gonna get a planter's <laughs> wart right next to your nipples. Something,
0: something's gonna go wrong for you. It's, it's yeah.
1: Just you're gonna get athlete's foot in your armpits. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's not happening. I'm I mm, coming into contact mm. with any kind of liquid in a New York City subway station is just how how you take a
1: personal tour of the emergency room. I'm like, public (laughs) hygiene has significantly improved since the 30s. At all times, when you are in a public space in a big city transit system, you should be making every effort to hover two inches off of the ground. You don't want to (laughs) touch any surface. (laughs) You gotta build yourself a little nest out of toilet paper if you want to sit down. Just, if, if you cannot psychically hover, Chris Angel style, <laughs> over a toilet, you should just hold it.
0: <laughs> the images in my head right now are, are fascinating.
1: <laughs> Burgess was cleared after a comparison of the handwriting of the note, but requested medical leave from his position at the BBC to recuperate from the stress.
0: I love every part of that sentence. The fact that they have handwriting <laughs> forensics in a toilet stall sex solicitation case and that he <laughs> then goes on stress leave because of it. That's I love every part of it. I love Specifically, it. Specifically he Mwah. did so
1: in in, in, in Paris, then can in the French Riviera.
0: <laughs> I, I just I would love to vacation on the French Riviera every time something shitty happened to me. God, I uh, Every wish I was time something up-
1: upsetting happened in a bathroom stall, just like, uh, sorry, I need to go to f- the French Riviera for a week.
0: <laughs> oh, to be an that upper middle class white male in the <laughs> mid 20th century. Uh.
1: Coincidentally, this was only days after the Anschluss, uh, the German annexation of Austria. Burgess's convalescence in Paris by happy accident allowed him to acquire detailed accounts of the French cabinet's discussion of the annexation from Pfeiffer, which Burgess then conveyed to both British intelligence and his good friends in Moscow. May 1938, Burgess received an interview with Commodore E.P.G. Norman, former MI6 station head in Prague, as part of vetting Burgess for potential intelligence posting abroad. During this process, Burgess admitted, nay, volunteered to David Footman that he had been a communist as a university student. He's just so bad at this! This was an admission Commodore Norman saw as an asset rather than a massive red flag with a golden hammer and sickle on it. (laughs) To quote Burgess, does footman suspect me? I think he doesn't. Why? Class, blink- blinkers. Eaton, my family, an intellectual. I must stress that I have always told that I have always told you avoid people like me. We are suspect for historical reasons.
0: Oh, there's nothing more dangerous than an upper middle class white person who fully understands the inner workings of upper middle class white people. Just the world is your oyster.
1: Oh, if you know how to use this to your. Full advantage like people often talk about like oh you know rich white people are so unaware and un unself conscious you don't want them to be self oh no no
0: no 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 you that's how we get the fire festival understand no no no
1: their power <laughs> uh-uh.
0: Uh-uh. 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 <laughs> it's, it's dangerous
1: <laughs> you can't have them knowing this
0: <laughs> you only want us using 10% of our brains once, yeah. once we figure out how to exploit other white people, there's there's no stopping them There's us. no
1: stopping them.
0: <laughs> and we are so easy to exploit. We're just soft and squishy. All we want is frozen yogurt and more consonants for our children's names.
1: <laughs> Burgess was then introduced to the head of MI6's counterintelligence unit, Section 5. Valentine Vivian, which, gotta say...
0: I like it. That's my favorite great one. Great yeah.
1: name. I want... A Marvel superhero, or DC, I'm not picky, named Major <laughs> Valentine Vivian.
0: Major Valentine Vivian, wow. wow. I, I'm pretty sure that's a man, but I want it to be a woman. I want her to be like a femme fatale superhero who wears nothing yes. but red rubber. I, I i want her superpower to be like finding men on Tinder and then stealing their souls.
1: Yeah, like, right, I, like, I want her to have like two epaulets- and to be otherwise just dressed in the most stripperific outfit.
0: I want this so badly. Somebody get me this.
1: Just, like, a full body, like, fishnet body sock, but with, like, metal strap on the front. <laughs> Strategically wow. so you can't see her nipples.
0: <laughs> just, just Square Enix the shit out of it. Absolutely. The name Major Valentine Vivian deserved better.
1: It just it, it deserves a
0: second chance.
1: I'm not saying Mr and Mrs. Vivian didn't do the best they could, but they really should have saved that. Valentine not Pulp Vivian. novel heroine.
0: Oh that's my favorite.
1: <laughs> it's just like I'm not even attracted to women and I want her to step on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a lot there. There's, there's a lot in those words. <laughs> I I can't I don't know. I, I, just, I, feel, I don't.
1: I feel like her main weapon is a whip. <laughs> I, I...
0: Uh, you are too into this for someone who just proclaimed not to be.
1: I just... Like... Hypothetically.
0: <laughs> like, I, no, th- I, admittedly,
1: I I am somebody who has to come out to people as not gay. But... <laughs> I was like, gonna say,
0: we're... We have to move on with the episode because my only goal in this life is to not be the one to give you the sex talk <laughs> That's I all that don't I want. Know what do you mean? Oh my god.
1: Maybe I want her to step on me in a non sexual manner. Maybe all right, I Jessica. Just... a deep pressure massage with her heels. When a
0: woman and another woman dressed only in rubber love each other very much <laughs> they ford each other's corn like they units. <laughs>
1: And then they go out for kippers. (laughs) That's
0: Uh, how British people are born.
1: (laughs) MI6 tasked Burgess with brushing up on his Marxist theory and cultivating and uncovering communist infiltrators. To quote Major Vivian, Both in Oxford and Cambridge there is a secret party membership. In the BBC, there was an underground communist organization. You will have to find out who its members are. (laughs) further burgess was told that he should he should infiltrate the communist party and arrange a post in moscow con- connected with cultural affairs
0: and he's like done and done
1: <laughs> easy i'm so ahead of you
0: <laughs> just don't ask me to submit a goddamn staff photo <laughs> uh,
1: sadly for the history of flagrant nonsense burgess co- burgess's communist handlers instructed Burgess to put a stop to this absurd charade before it could continue, as they did not trust his capacity to pull off such a risky venture. Keep in mind, however, that while Burgess is often depicted as a sort of sidekick to the rest of the Cambridge ring, the truth is he was more so its leader and center. He was the most valued of the Soviets' operatives, and often the most effective, due to his willingness to push ahead, sense opportunity, and take risks. The other members of the ring relied on Burgess for advice and guidance, something that is often forgotten in the face of his absurd, unserious character and lurid personal life. It's like if
0: you found out that Mr. Bean was secretly a communist operative and that he had, like, a body count of 86.
1: (laughs) It's just, it's upsetting. It, It really is. Like, on the one hand, it's like, he's so obvious. How did nobody pick up on this? But on the other hand, it's like, Yeah, if, like, my buddy from college, who I had once seen drunkenly staple himself to the floor, like, if he told me that he was working on behalf of the international communist movement as a high-up spy, I'd be like, sure, Jeremy. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I just, I wouldn't believe them. (laughs) Burgess grew increasingly frustrated with his work at the BBC, which fell under political pressure to moderate its content. Winston Churchill was scheduled to introduce a history series that was critical of fascism in early October 1938, but Churchill was asked to cancel, given, that the, given the precariousness of the current international political situation. Notably, this was around the same time as the negotiation and signing of the Munich Agreement between the heads of Britain, France, and Germany, and Italy, agreeing that France would not provide military assistance to its ally, Czechoslovakia, the Czechs, who had not been invited to the negotiations, then collapsed under diplomatic pr- pressure and ceded the Sudetenland to Germany.
0: I could not tell you Czechoslovakia's political alignment in 1920, 1938 if you beat me with a copy of a grade 12 social textbook. I. Ha-
1: that's entirely fair. <laughs> that's a country
0: I don't think about ever. <laughs> Somebody invited me out for Czechoslovakian food the other night, and I thought it was a joke. What? <laughs> no, I, that's... That's a that's a restaurant do cuisine they have you can find in New York.
1: Czechoslovakian restaurants. Like, I, I was they impressed do. that Edmonton had like an Ethiopian restaurant.
0: No, no, there's Czechoslovakian restaurants. I I felt winded. I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> I don't even have a concept of what that would be. Like, do you just like presumably beets are involved?
0: Oh yeah, potatoes and root vegetables. It's like Ukrainian light.
1: It feels like you would be introduced to, like, all eight states of potato. Like, you'd be like, (laughs) fried potatoes, mashed potatoes, potatoes as a solid, potatoes as a liquid, potatoes as a plasma, potatoes as an aerosol. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If I could aerosol potatoes and just eat them from a can on the go, I would fucking do it. Don't even-
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I would just- If you could, like, have mashed potatoes in a can that you would just spray into your mouth, like- like straight like like silly cheese I don't know I just. <laughs> I
0: might never use my stove again
1: yeah like people come into my house and they're like why do you own exactly no utensils and I'm like I just open up my cup like my, my entire pantry and it's just like a wall of spray potato
0: just an upsetting <laughs> amount of spray potato yeah my landlord would find the oven out on the curb like didn't eat it
1: <laughs> yeah I'm good yeah <laughs> Was it's just quartering up we, this place.
0: We turned the space into a fourth bedroom. <laughs>
1: yeah. We're subletting. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our 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 new subtenant is you know is very is a famous Broadway performer, and we're 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 letting it out for four thousand dollars a month.
0: Subletting an oven sounds like
1: something that actually happens in this city, so I hesitate <laughs> to make
0: a joke about it.
1: Mm. Uh, there's probably like at least three people who are listening to this right now who are going like, Hey, I live in an oven. <laughs> uh, Burgess requested and was granted a personal meeting with Churchill in an attempt to convince him not to cancel. The two met at Churchill's country home, where they talked for hours, and Burgess encouraged Churchill to lend his voice in support of the Czechoslovakians.
0: Churchill. You can just casually meet with the prime minister and influence the political direction of your country. Yeah. That's just you can just you, book that like a dentist appointment.
1: You can just stroll up to Winston motherfucking Churchill, his actual middle name, and just go like, <laughs> "Hey, do you want to like chat? I'm nobody." <laughs> but here's how you handle the checks. He's not the prime minister at the moment, but he was still an important political figure. It's a little weird. Yeah. It's, like, I was a bit flabbergasted a couple weeks ago when I couldn't get an elevator to go upstairs to my job because the elevators were being held open and occupied by, one, a German shepherd, two, two police officers, and three, the Prime Minister's security detail because for some reason the Prime Minister was in my building somewhere. That's upsetting. Yeah, like that was as close to power as I have ever come. <laughs> I met uh, like, Justin I just, Trudeau at a subway. See him. Yeah, I met him at a subway a couple years before
0: he was prime minister, huh. and people like make yeah he was at U of A at our at our alma mater to do a
1: speech, and he was in line for subway. I don't know. Yeah, but, it's like if when a friend of mine like met Elizabeth Warren at a vegan burrito place. It's it's very shit weird. Shit
0: happens. And like Americans tease me about like how they, you know, Americans have this perception of how small Canada is. Yeah. Do you know Joe from Toronto. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, Canadian, so cool. Have you met the Prime Minister? And I have to be like, you know what? Like, we're a real country. We have thirty-five million people. We don't all know each other. But yes, I have met Justin Trudeau.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I've seen him in person too. Like he was at Pride in Vancouver last year, and like I just turned around I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the Prime Minister. <laughs> like we didn't chat. <laughs> but, like, I was in within banana hucking distance. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: a strange unit unit of measurement.
1: Hey, th- this is Canada. The way we protest our prime minister is by occasionally launching fruit and or pies. I say that's a that's a very
0: incriminating unit of measurement. I was close enough for a politically motivated banana huck. And
1: no further. All right. I mean, then. I probably would've missed. I'm very clumsy. Yeah, that's why you're not in prison. <laughs> Churchill even gave Burgess a signed copy, like, apparently really liked Burgess, and even gave him a signed copy of his recently published book, uh, Arms and the Covenant. Burgess told and retold the story of his meeting with Churchill often, albeit with the odd dramatization and revision in the telling. He even did a decent impression of Churchill, which there are still recordings of available on YouTube. Ah, but
0: no one will top my favorite impression of Winston Churchill. <laughs>
1: Incidentally, also available on YouTube.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just Google Jessica Pigeot
1: on YouTube. You will be disappointed. Jessica Pigeot, end of an empire. <laughs> <laughs> you will find me in a bow tat, hat, and tie doing an impression of a British colonialist and threatening to invade St. Albert, Alberta.
0: <laughs> my hometown. <laughs> you threatened to invade my hometown.
1: We can get there by daybreak. (laughs) Uh, Oh, Vicky. Oh, Vicky. It's funny because, like, there was a recent, like, Netflix adaption of, like, The Life of Queen Elizabeth, and I had several people text me. They're like, This Winston Churchill's pretty good, but yours (laughs) is better. And I do not know how to take that.
0: Nobody does Winston Churchill like a 29-year-old gender-ambiguous
1: Canadian. They should have been farther reaching in their requests for auditions. (laughs) In November, after the withdrawal of yet another speaker, Burgess resigned from his position at the BBC to take on duties with British intelligence full-time. He spent the next two years assigned to the Joint Broadcasting Committee, whose mission involved overtly spreading pro-British propaganda to neutral countries and covertly smuggling and transmitting pro-British and anti-nazi programming into Germany. He was the third man on the totem pole in the JBC after Hilda Matheson and Isa Morley Hilda Matheson incidentally former lover of uh, former lover of writer Vita Sackville West, wife of member of oh. Parliament Harold Nicholson, former lover of Guy Burgess. Former lover of the entire gay student population of Cambridge, circa
0: nineteen thirty four. Well that's Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if one of those people got gonorrhea, they all they're all going down. Oh, Holy the entire shit.
1: British government is going down.
0: <laughs> oh my god, that's
1: all of elite society is getting syphilis. This
0: episode is just all over the place. We've got we've got a lavender marriage between important people. Yeah. We've... Oh my god. We've got
1: high-ranking women in British propaganda. We've got it all.
0: (laughs) What a time to be alive.
1: Uh, Everybody's fucking everybody. Everybody. Literally every single surface in the British government was just covered in fluids. You could just bring a black like into Parliament and you'd be shocked and appalled. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) Burgess likewise acted as liaison for the, ministry, uh, for the ministry to the JBC, the BBC, and the B- Black Ops organization Electra House. The position gave Burgess both a great deal of access to high-level intelligence and plausible deniability, with fellow intelligence agents often unaware of what exactly he was doing and under whose authority. The exact scope of Burgess' activities during this period remain unclear. Because people just keep handing him power. Absolutely. Just like he's in some sort out of weird question. political
0: bukake video. They're just jizzing power all over his face. It's just, he can't even keep up with it.
1: Amazing what people were willing to trust, with, trust him with, with absolutely no vetting. He is a spy, and has been for most of
0: his adult life. Yeah. <laughs> the entire time. And he, he tells a... people. He just gets drunk and tells people. And they're yeah. still just like, Would you like to be the head of a government department? Would you like to have tea
1: with the queen? Would you like my children's social security numbers? They're like, who should we trust with the most sensitive information in the entire government? This fucking guy. This mouthy drunk.
0: (laughs) In fairness, that continues to be the current administration's political strategy, but that's just me being salty.
1: In mid-1939, during negotiation of a three-way alliance between Britain, France, and the Soviet Union, as proposed by the Soviets, Burgess conveyed that the British had no sincere desire for a defensive pact and were merely feigning interest in continuing talks with the the Germans. This intelligence perhaps formed part of the Soviets' decision to instead sign a 10-year non-aggression pact with Germany.
0: This sounds like high school drama, except like millions of people get blown up as a result.
1: After the revelation of the pact, an apparently frightened Burgess showed up at Garanwy Reese's door and pretended that he had become disillusioned when given up his clandestine work for the Communist Party as a way of ensuring Reese's silence on the topic of his and Blunt's activities.
0: So now nobody can really be sure what side this fucking guy's on. By
1: 1940, Burgess was in the employ of the British Ministry of Intelligence. There, Burgess lobbied to hire Kim Philby to Section D, And as there was an immediate need for personnel and senior officer Major Valentine Vivian had known Philby's father, no more than perfunctionary checks were made.
0: Oh, it's still a woman in red vinyl in my head. Mm,
1: Yes. Although, I will note, Philby's father was also a traitor. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's important. It's didn't kind of incredible to the Saudis? I remember that from last episode.
0: <laughs> it's kind of incredible that like all of Europe didn't collapse a hundred years ago and that Europeans aren't just born under a tarp eating out of tin cans.
1: Europeans, for a long time and the descendants of Europeans, so arrogant, they're just like, clearly we are the height of civilization. Not that we're still <laughs> shitting in our own rivers.
0: <laughs> also we all talk like Winston Churchill. Yes. <laughs> I'm from Poland.
1: Here <laughs> here. As a member of the French aristocracy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh my
1: God. Uh, it is I, Louis the <laughs> I
0: I can't oh no. <laughs> Something very important in my brain just broke. <laughs> I could feel the fuse flipping in my brain.
1: The London Bureau of the NKVD was struggling. Purges in Russia claimed the life of one of its officers and sent his successor to the Gulags. Arnold Deutsch had returned to the Soviet Union, and the only officer left was Anatoly Gorsky, who was rather ill-briefed. Beyond that, Moscow largely mistrusted the Cambridge Ring, suspecting them of being agent provocateur. In fact, throughout the time the Cambridge Ring was active, mistrust of the most potentially harmful High level information passed on limited much of the damage the ring might have caused to Western intelligence. After the high level defection of Walter Kravitsky from Soviet intelligence revealed much of the NKVD's Western network, the London office folded in, ni- in February 1940, leaving the Cambridge spy ring operating autonomously for some time.
0: Everybody sucks at everything, is basically All what's the happening. Time. Every- everybody's bad at this.
1: Yeah, this is not. This is not going great. <laughs> uh, in July of 1940, Burgess left on a trip to Vladivostok via North America because apparently that was the safest slash fastest way to get to Russia circa 1940. Confusing, but okay. Take the long way around. Just cut to Vladivostok through Moose Jaw, Canada. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Less confusing
1: than whatever the fuck's going on here. The trip was canceled even before Burgess could have reached the Soviet Union, while he was still in America. Before the cancellation, however, Burgess visited American inspiring member Michael Strait, now working for the U.S. State Department, and instructed him to monitor the defector Kravitsky, perhaps the true reason for the trip. Interesting. Burgess made some significant contributions during his time with the Ministry of Intelligence, such as or- an organized school for saboteurs to be sent into occupied Europe, which was enacted, and a scheme to wait for a strong westerly wind and to float balloons tied to incendiary bombs to set fire to the German countryside, which was not.
0: <laughs> That's a terrible idea.
1: That's a terrible idea.
0: School for Tiny Spies, kind of adorable. Absolutely. Sort of, sort of a step up from like School so for kids who can't read good. But yeah, want to learn to do like... other stuff good too.
1: Flaming balloons <laughs> <laughs> Balloon bombs. First of all, there is so much France in the way. <laughs> so yeah, I much say, France.
0: If you want oh, France really, if you want to see uh, the next Fallout game set in Europe, that's how you that's how you get there.
1: <laughs> I also I also want to point out that I found this incredibly weird because we have done an episode on another incident of someone suggesting waiting for a westerly wind and floating incendiary bombs over the ocean
0: on balloons, and that they went for it, and it yeah. it didn't go well.
1: If you, if you want to look that up, one look up fire balloons in our back catalog.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, not a good plan. Not a,
1: if
0: if you want all of Paris, you think the Notre Dame fire was traumatic? Could
1: have
0: could have turned the clock back on that about seventy years.
1: Yeah. Um, just if you want all of it alight,
0: God, can you imagine like Mad Max Parisian edition, like Mad Maxime?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mad Maxime, I like it. She could be the arch nemesis of Major Vivian Val- Valentine Vivian. <laughs>
0: now it's a post-apocalyptic French drama I... in the burned-out remains of Paris. I like it. You, you know what? I'd watch it. This would be one of
1: the best video games you could release. <laughs> Ubisoft. Stop making Assassin's Creed f- like. 7000. 7000. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> we need Vivian Valentine in post apocalyptic France fighting Mad Maxime. <laughs> <laughs> I'd play it. <laughs>
0: uh, I'd never do anything productive again.
1: Absolutely. I, you, like, I would start playing it on a long weekend. And I would come outside of my room to find the authorities that declared me dead. (laughs) That is way too fun of a concept. (laughs) If I knew Tim Schaefer, or if I was, like, Guy Burgess, and I could just be like, hey, I want to see Tim Schaefer," and they just let me into his office, I would absolutely just, like, spend all of my effort convincing him of this. (laughs) Like, I want to make my elevator pitch. (laughs)
0: <laughs> this is this is my mark on the world. I this forget this podcast noise. I want post-apocalyptic women in rubber red rubber,
1: precisely
0: while the twisted remains of the Eiffel Tower collapse just, in the background.
1: Just a burning skyline, just the arc of triumph exploding into festive confetti.
0: <laughs> this sounds like the either a really great video game or the weirdest French porn you'll ever watch. Could be both. Could be both.
1: Burgess and Philby both acted as instructors at Sister Margaret's School for Saboteurs, uh, Burgess on the subject of political in- in- incitement and coordinating with subversive elements. He was sor- shortly thereafter transferred for some unclear misbehavior. In September 1940, Burgess was charged in absentia with driving a War Office car while under the influence. The charge was dismissed on payment of costs, a heavy part in deference to Burgess's sensitive work on behalf of the war effort, which necessitated travel outside of London.
0: Basically, if this guy could have stopped soliciting men in toilets and trying to drunk drive army cars, he could have taken over the goddamn world.
1: Oh, absolutely. He could have been prime minister in the 1950s if he hadn't just absolutely fucked it all up a wall. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really hoping
0: he didn't fuck the army car up a wall, but I mean, based on what we've already learned about him, him, I wouldn't put it against. I I wouldn't put it past him.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm just I'm just amazed he wasn't charged with fucking the car.
0: <laughs> That's not what gay is, Jessica. We'll discuss this after the recording.
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm open-minded. If consenting adults and their cars wish to do whatever on the streets of London, I I fully support them.
0: When I get a phone call from the Vancouver PD because you're out on the street trying to get consent from a 2008 Honda Civic, I'm not responsible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, I've heard of carjacking. It, It sounds a bit raunchy, but I'm willing to give it a go.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you live in a country with free healthcare.
1: <laughs> uh, Burgess was made redundant from his position at the end of 1940, which he blamed on bureaucratic intrigue, but was more likely to do with the, you know, drunk driving charge. In January 1941, Burgess rejoined the BBC. The same year, Burgess moved in with Anthony Blunt after briefly staying with Kim Philby after getting evicted for not paying rent. <laughs>
0: God, this guy is useless.
1: Uh, When not working, Burgess spent much of his time in pubs and clubs seducing lonely servicemen. He had several long-term love affairs at this time, but they were mostly troubled. Burgess's position with the BBC spared him from military participation, but he still delayed signing his contract until the 9th of May, 1941, months after being hired and after repeat formal reminders. He often passed cartoons under the table at meetings, he actually, like, drew, like, several, like, caricatures of famous people that he has met. Several of which are still in the, uh, the documentation of British Parliament. Oh, fantastic. Um,
0: so he's at top-secret meetings, and he's like, well, this is basically middle school math class. How to draw <laughs> Churchill with a funny nose?
1: Yeah, Burgess likewise spied on the Religious Affairs Department of the BBC on behalf of Richard McConaughey, uh, the head of the Talks Department. The Religious Affairs Department, of course knew Burgess was a spy because he openly told them so while drunk. <laughs> Assistant Director Reverend Eric Fenn reported Burgess drunkenly saying, When we get into power after the war, you, Fenn, will be one of the first to hang from a lamp post.
0: Oh, just water cooler better at, at the old job. That's... As
1: you know, with your colleagues. As you
0: do. Just, just threatening war crimes. You know. Yeah. Casually.
1: Against a priest.
0: Oh, so it's blasphemous war crime.
1: (laughs) On May 30th, he was censured and made to apologize for drunkenly attempting to break down his own office door with a fire extinguisher, severely damaging said door, and leaving the carpet soaked in fire suppressant. Yeah, so that's subtle. Burgess did eventually apologize, sort of. Mm. (laughs) Sort of? keep in mind, he is 30 at this point. That's like, he's, he's not a child. No, he's two years older than me. <laughs> he fully knows better. June 22nd, while Burgess was coincidentally on unexpected, compassionate leave, Germany suddenly invaded the Soviet Union. After Burgess's return, he was asked to produce some ideas on the topic of Russia. In October, he took over the political program The Week in Westminster, which provided commentary on the activities of Parliament. Through his position, Burgess was able to shape public opinion toward the USSR, and through the access and patronage potential it granted him, he was able to gain influence with various members of the British political class.
0: It's like a series of wacky mishaps, except for, like, the USSR nearly wins World War II.
1: Yeah, which is with deadly fucking consequences. It's like <laughs> Black Adder, only real. Mm. <laughs> what a zany series of fun mishaps. Just you know, good old fashioned slapstick and almost betraying the entire Western world. That's uh, great. During Wonderful. During his sec- second stint with the BBC, Burgess continued to work freelance on behalf of MI6 and also expanded into work for MI5 as an agent, code name Vohall. He reported to Kemball Johnston and none other than fellow Cambridge spy Anthony Blunt, who joined who had joined MI5 with a recommendation for Vic- from Victor Rothschild in the summer of 1940. Burgess's own brother, Nigel, also worked for MI5 monitoring communist party activities.
0: It's a whole family affair.
1: Whee! Burgess ran extensive networks of contacts throughout Europe and the higher echelons of the British government, and was able to funnel massive amounts of information to the NKVD, to the point that it was later discovered that much of the immaterial supply- supplied by the Cambridge spy ring went entirely untranslated due in part to capacity issues. Uh, so ju- they
0: just have no idea what they're sending. Is this... Is this top oh, secret documentation? Is this yesterday's lunch order? I have no idea I don't speak Russian.
1: There's there's just an upset Russian translator just going like, you give me more and more paper. <laughs> I do not know what it says. Always <laughs> English. <laughs> you, I get no break.
0: <laughs> Guy just has a breakdown, so it's translating shit into Chinese just to be a dick. <laughs>
1: It's very stressful. Like, the guy who has to translate from Czechoslovakia doesn't get nearly this workload. (laughs) (laughs) The sheer amount of intel provided by the Cambridge Ring, rather than pleasing their Soviet handlers, instead cultivated paranoia and suspicion. Soviet intelligence was aware of the British double-cross system, which allowed Britain to turn every German spy in Britain and use them as channels to feed misinformation back to Germany. And the NKVD suspected something similar might be at play here. The Cambridge Ring had to be a cell of double agents. How else would so many agents with a clear history of communist ideology ever be allowed to waltz into the heart of British intelligence?
0: It's a fair question.
1: It is not without its merits. <laughs> Burgess grew inc- increasingly worried that Granway Reese might out him and Blunt to the authorities, to the extent that in July 1943 he suggested to his handler, Anatoly Gorsky that the only solution was Reese's Physical liquidation, and that he was willing to handle the situation personally.
0: Is that is that where you turn a person physically into liquid?
1: Yeah, Physi- that's when you just like, you know, like, you know, like, you juice it? Or, like, oh my god. Will it blend? Like, oh my god. Like-
0: <laughs> Physical liquidation sounds bad. That sounds like a thing I don't want.
1: It sounds like you're gonna turn him into a smoothie. Uh. <laughs> Rather than impress Soviet intelligence with his devotion to the cause, this rather convinced Gorsky that Burgess was unstable and utterly willing to betray anyone, even a close friend, and might turn on the USSR at a moment's notice. In June 1944, with the end of the war in sight, Burgess left the talks department at the BBC and took up employment with the news department of the British Foreign Office. Burgess was hired on the weight of his background as one of the country's foremost propagandists and his job was to liaise with foreign editors, diplomatic correspondents, and London London correspondents of the foreign press, to explain government policy, and to react to events in the news. This occasionally involved personally giving press conferences on behalf of the foreign office in the stead of more senior officials. This is is like if White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders was a secret communist agent and less of a liar.
0: God, I want that to be true. <laughs> oh, I want that more than I've ever wanted anything. Oh my god! Don't even right? tease me That'd like be that.
1: Perfect. I want Sarah
0: Huckabee Sanders to be a fucking secret agent by night. Oh, I want be it so, so bad. Funny.
1: I don't even care for which government.
0: <laughs> no, I don't give a shit. She could be spying for fucking Botswana. I don't. I don't care. It would
1: be perfect. <laughs>
0: I just want to imagine that she leaves her office with barrel rolls, holding a gun.
1: Oh, just like a, f- the, like in her pen, she just has a little tranquilizer dart, and any time like, like fucking Rudy Giuliani is harassing her to like say something at a press event, she just whips it out and tranks him, and like this makes her escape through the rose garden.
0: <laughs> oh, I have another movie that I want, and it's that. That's what
1: I want. <laughs> That is my head cannon. I, I, know you're, I know you're supposed not supposed to head cannon, like actual current political figures. The news, but I
0: want yeah, that to not so much. True,
1: so badly. I, I've never wanted anything more. National Enquirer, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> I will make up such bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the likes of Just which the world has never seen. Just
0: let me do it.
1: As always, Burgess had a rather mixed reputation among his colleagues. He was popular and skilled in his position, but he was notoriously grubby, and, again, still habitually chewed raw garlic. Oh, so literally grubby. Yeah, like, Burgess was likewise prone to livening up otherwise drudging briefings by passing out semi-nude photographs of male conquests.
0: How do you just casually do that? It's like, ah, I'm glad we could all make it here this
1: morning if you will examine this man's penis. Yeah, because, like, here's the thing. One- he had to set up a camera during these events and take photos. Two, he had to get them printed.
0: <laughs> Three, Which has got to be a real- Make an eye contact with like, that clerk as you pick those up.
1: Like, this is premeditated. He is bringing these into work in a briefcase.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're just packing your 60 photographs of a nude man. Yeah. With your lunch.
1: Just, you really had to go out of your way to show people nudes back in the day. Like, that was sexually inappropriate at work
0: then. Yeah! By like, by the standards of the day. This was an era where you were fully expected to slap your secretary on the ass as a compliment. You're a sex pest by the standards of the
1: day. Like, can you imagine just how hard it would be to send a random person a picture of your penis? It would take logistical effort. You have to buy a stamp. Yeah, you have to buy a stamp. You have to mail it. You have to get down to the post office. Like, it's a lot of work. Nobody wants to do that shit. Yeah, people think that people back in the day were classier and, like, they would never send each other nudes. No, no, no. It was just more logistically complicated, and not the sort of thing you would waste on anybody but the closest of, of friends. Yeah, it just
0: took effort back then.
1: Yeah, it just—they're—they're just, they're, they're just as—we've always been lazy. <laughs> it's not that we became—it's not that we became more casual about our genitals. I mean, we did, but it's also that like it just became easier to show them off. Wait, what was the last time you bought a physical stamp? Ugh.
0: Ever. Way too much work. Uh, Peregrine Fellows. What? Real that's name. A, that's a name. That is a oh name. Oh my god. That it is sounds a like a man.
1: Peregrine Fellows sounds like a suburban neighborhood. Right? Like Peregrine <laughs> Fellows sounds like a gated community. Peregrine Fellows sounds like a bowling team. It sounds like, like an after school falconing club. It does! Peregrine Fellows. Sounds like a fancy country club where they supply falcons. Like you don't even have to bring your own. You can <laughs> falcons just... provided. Falcons provided at the door. It's the, true it, luxury. It just it would be like a maid cafe, only up like stuck up upper class and British. You have and not birds. made it in this world until a man
0: named Jeeves is handing you a falcon. Honestly, that's all I want in life.
1: <laughs> it's good to have goals. Peregrine Fellows, who was an individual and a co-worker of Burgess, uh, and, like, Ugh. I really feel if your name is Peregrine Fellows, you shouldn't be a bureaucrat. You should be an explorer. Like, Oh, you've got to do something with that. you got to be like Robert Falcon Scott, and you got to die at the North Pole.
0: Like, you... <laughs>
1: it had to happen, sir.
0: I'm sorry. If you've, if is... you've got
1: a predatory bird name... You need to die doing something amazing and pointless. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You you need need to scale something just because it's there. Yeah, right? Like, you need to be climbing Mount Everest. You need to be disappearing in the middle of the jungle. (laughs) Last seen
0: punching a great white shark in the tit. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Sharks don't even have tits, but you found one and he punched it. (laughs)
1: Last scene hitting second base with an actual grizzly bear. Just, oh, dear God. <laughs> just to
0: say he could.
1: Uh, Peregrine Fellows claimed that when he and Burgess were locked away, decoding and analyzing top secret material together, Burgess would read out the funnier missives and silly voices for entertainment. Just like I used to do in the romance novel section when I worked at the library. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Woo! <sighs> ah, fun times. Good times. times. I, I used to do like, I used to read like Sandra Hill in a Gollum voice. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't
0: believe they let you work at a government
1: office. <laughs> <laughs> I know for a fact none of my coworkers have looked this podcast up. Because <laughs> you still have a job. Because I still work there. <laughs> the moment I go come in one day and there's just a dead silence, I'm gonna know. <laughs> <laughs> Use your dental insurance while you have it. Burgess also frequently returned from lunch drunk and apparently kept a bottle of, of gin uh, locked in the middle drawer of his desk alongside a book on flagellation. Like all the healthy, well-adjusted people do. Just what you'd need for the middle of the day. Just some light reading at lunch. Gin, tonic, and a good spanking. <laughs> Burgess offered to work Saturday afternoons and received permission to take documents home in the evenings. Gestures that were appreciated by the heavily understaffed news department and coincidentally gave Burgess a lot of unsupervised time alone with highly sensitive documents... Uh, highly sensitive diplomatic and foreign policy information. The authentic high-level documents Burgess was able to provide his to his Soviet handlers from his position within with with the Foreign office finally convinced them of his value and sincerity as an agent. The information Burgess provided confirmed the Soviet suspicion that their wartime alliance with the West was chilling in the last sputtering months of World War II. September 5, 1945, three days after the formal surrender of the Japanese brought an official end to the war. Igor guzenko a young cipher clerk working for the Soviet embassy in Ottawa defected in spectacular fashion after learning that he and his family were to be sent uh were to be sent back to the Soviet Union Guzenko stuffed his shirt with sensitive documents and walked out of the embassy they didn't pat him down they just they just let you go you just does that van seem a little crinkly to you? Nah, I'm sure it's <laughs> just fine. Crinkly. Can you imagine just walking around with like with printer paper just shoved down your pants? It's like <laughs> It's
0: the 1940s. I mean, I assume they've got they like the heavy duty
1: stuff back then. There was no recyclable paper. Yeah, like he just he gets a weird look from security and they're just like you need to start your start your shirts a little less, comrade. <laughs> 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 Looking a little stiff there. Gazenko first reported to an office of the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which our listeners might know as those odd Canadians who ride horses, wear bright red uniforms with po- poofy pants and silly hats, and primarily solve maple syrup-related crimes. But they're actually a pretty serious law enforcement organization. I say, those things are only for special
0: occasions. The rest of the time, they beat minorities just like any other police force. They
1: downtrod the downtroddened with the, the- best of them. They're also our FBI, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. In, in addition to serving as a federal police force, the Mounties are, like, a rough equivalent to the American FBI and Homeland Security. Uh, the particular Mounties on duty when Gazenko walked in, however, didn't believe him. <laughs> well, shit. A Soviet man coming to you with classified documents shoved down his shirt is not... Uninteresting. <laughs> oh, we don't believe you, don't you know? Like, oh, are the, are those sensitive Russian documents down your pants? Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: go on there, fella.
1: <laughs> like what is going on at this RCMP office? Is this but Are like, you busy? Are we interrupting yeah. you? Are you trying to have lunch? What is this? Is this a typical Tuesday for you? <laughs> Uh, next, Gazenko went to the office of the Ottawa Journal, where the night editor met him with disinterest and told him to go to the Department of Justice. But when Gazenko went there, nobody was on duty. Finally, he returned home, where he and his family hid in the neighbor's apartment and watched through the keyhole as Soviet agents arrived, broke in, and searched his belongings until they were confronted by the Ottawa police and left. Just hilarious levels of ineptitude. Just failures at every level. Incredible. The next day, Gazenko found RCMP personnel who were far more receptive to his story, and he and his family were placed in protective custody. Gazenko's defection revealed the massive extent of Soviet espionage in the West, as well as how much the Soviets had already uncovered about the American atom bomb. It exposed nothing of the Cambridge spying, however, because Gazenko was from a separate branch of Soviet intelligence, the GRU, rather than the NKVD. The true threat to the Cambridge Five had actually come far earlier, that would take far longer to reach the ears of the public. In late August, the Deputy Chief of Soviet Intelligence, Turkey, Konstantin Volkov, sent a letter requesting an urgent appointment to the British vice Council, Chantry Hamilton Page. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> I can't even take it anymore. <laughs> oh, that's a real person. Oh, somebody went through life named
1: Hamilton Page. I don't even I can't I I he don't even like know. He sounds like a country club.
0: <laughs> I I don't even know what part of that I like the best. All
1: All I truly this.
0: don't. Oh, I feel spoiled
1: now. I Oof. just, those, those, those bored housewives need to step up their game in terms of impressing bizarre names. They oh, need to the... take a page from Chantry Hamilton Page's parents.
0: <laughs> oh my god, you can, you can, you, once you've named a child Chantry Hamilton Page, you're done. You don't have yeah. to do anything. You have rest upon your laurels. Mm your mark on history is made your contribution to humanity settled
1: oh you've done enough <laughs> you have served your country you've done good pig you've done good so the Bryce- the vice council Chandry hamilton page dismissed the letter as unlikely to be authentic and ignored it After receiving no reply, on September 4th, Volkov arrived in person at the British Embassy, requesting political asylum for both him and his wife, and £50,000, in return for a list of 314 Soviet agents in Turkey, and 250 in Britain, including two working out of the foreign office, and one acting as as section head within British counterintelligence. Given the extreme sensitivity of this information— the Volkov matter was placed in the hands of a man with, in which MI6 had utter confidence. Oh, Section no. Head of British Counterintelligence, Kim Philby. Oh dear god. I have had <gasps> noise complaints to the police
0: that were handled better than this. Absolutely. The police are better at dealing with illegal barbecues than they are dealing with extensive espionage and repeated requests to give them information. It's, it's hard to fuck up this bad. It is
1: hard to fuck up worse. Philby tipped Moscow off to the situation, then made his way to Turkey very, very slowly. He arrived in Istanbul on September 26th, long after the Soviets had already spirited away Folkov and his wife, never to be seen again. Oh, he did.
0: They are so dead. I mean, they'd be dead by now anyway, just because, like, with the passage but of time. But they're, like,
1: extra dead. But they're
0: extra dead. I mean, they were dead. They were dead then. They they're didn't. So dead. They didn't live long and fulfilling lives into the
1: 21st century. They're just. They just. They did. They're. Dead. They're. De- they're s- one, one, they are so dead, but I. It's, I'm, I'm. Extra thinking, dead. Like, th- th- the likelihood that they still had all their fingernails? Low. Oh, oh Very my low. god. Oh no. Oh, yuck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm quite attached to my fingernails physically and psychologically. Like,
1: like you know how, like, in history, they always, like, in, in film, they always say, like, you know, what you can't see is always scarier, and, like, you know, for, like, building tension in horror movies. Here, right. I'm glad for the discretion of history. Oh, yeah. I don't want to know what happened.
0: Mm-mm. It wasn't it was good. Bad. <laughs> it was bad. I know that. It was it was it was bad.
1: Yes. And that is where we'll be leaving off for uh for episode 2 of Guy Burgess.
0: Oh, we're leaving off with dead spies and ripped-off fingernails. Look at that. What Absolutely.
1: a, what a place to
0: leave off. Oh. It doesn't right.
1: get more cheerful after this. Sweet dreams, Funny, kids. But not cheerful. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I'm Jessica. And I'm still Janelle. And we
0: are Fat, Fat, French, French, and fabulous. Fabulous.